1: Welcome to Fentime with Connie Podcast. I'm your host Connie. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Entrepreneur Series. If you are new to this or uh, if this is your first time listening to this, well the Entrepreneur series always premiere first on Facebook and YouTube live. It's gonna be is always a live stream on Saturdays at 2 30 p.m. Central time. So if you want to watch a video version of this episode, make sure you like us on Facebook Advent Time with Connie and subscribe to us on YouTube at Vent Time with Connie Podcast. So you can always get notified each time we go live. Okay, okay, guys, without wasting any time, there you go. The interview I held with Nicholas Henry Henry this past Saturday about venture capital. Enjoy! Okay, guys. Without wasting any too much time, let's dive into the topic of today, which is venture capital. By definition, venture capital is a form of private equity financing provided by investors or invest or venture capitalists to so startup, emerging company business that are in early stage that shows potential high growth. Whenever I hear this venture capital, I think of it reminds me of this. TV show Shark Tank. I don't know if you guys have heard about. It. I mean, if you guys have heard about it or even watch it, comment below. Yes, if you have heard about it. Well, um, the shark Tank, basically the premises of the show is that um, I think it's like four um investors or five. Correct me if I'm wrong. They um actually just sit down and they bring in different individuals and they will present their business idea and hope and in hope that those investors will invest on their business so they can kind of take their business to the you know, to the next level. So I think that's what I think it is, but I'm not sure. But guess who is sure about this topic is our guest today. He's the perfect person to discuss this topic because he was a co-founder of a company called Carl Lipso. After graduating from Stanford Business School in 2013, him and his partner went through Combinator in 2014, raised a total of $10 million dollars in venture funding by 2015 and sold the business to Kavanaugh.com in 2017. Yes, the kavana that you know, the used car retailer in US. They later on joined Kavanaugh, went public at a 2.5 billion dollars valuation, and are now worth $25 billion. Oh, my gosh. Just calling this name, these numbers is even giving me a headache. Maybe because I've never seen this type of money in my life. <laughs> okay, going back to what I'm saying. But they didn't stop at this. They continued. They stayed with Kavanaugh for three years and left in June 2020 to start a digital auto loan refinancing platform. Their business name is withclutch.com, and their goal is to help all Americans we challenge credit and doing their part to address income inequality. I am talking about Nicholas. I'm talking about Nicholas. Hi Nicholas, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, Connie. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How how is everyone? How is your health? How are you coping with this whole pandemic?
2: I'm I'm fortunate that I'm inside a lot. I'm being careful. I'm in San Francisco as we speak, so we have been wearing masks for a long time. Most people are healthy. Yeah. My family's in Europe and Germany mainly, so luckily they're healthy. Germany's doing a really good job with the virus. And so, yeah, luckily we're all healthy, safe and sane.
1: That's good. Uh, that's good to hear there. I'm think i glad you, you mentioned your family's in Germany because uh, your last name, Henrich, um, where does that name originate from?
2: Yeah, it, it, it's actually it used to be Enriquez and used to be oh, wow. a family from Portugal like 500 years ago who made their way and ended up in Germany and then Enriquez became Hendrickson. And yeah, oh, I, I, wow. I, I don't expect you to be able to pronounce it. In fact, I'm starting to be, be not used to my last name anymore because I've been living in the US for nine years.
1: Wow. Oh okay, so the name comes from Portuguese or is it German? German, Enrique, yeah.
2: Yeah, now it's very German. Like it's not super common, but it's German. Like if, if if a German saw it, you'd be able to say it out loud without any problems. But you did a great job.
1: Oh wow, because I mean, and I guess they right. I was like, this sounds German yeah. to me, or even right. Irish, so I was close. <laughs> super close. <laughs> so that's good. Um, um, Nicholas, one thing that I learned from um learned about you, why in you know, a reading about you is that you are very ambitious and goal-driven, um, individual and your resume is impeccable. Like where did you derive your passion and desire to be so innovative and industrious?
2: Um, well, first I feel very flattered you would say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I've, I've just been, I've been fortunate that my parents always encouraged us, both my two brothers and me to explore the world. Like, they wanted the best oh. for us. They taught us early in life how important education is because it opens doors. And then, when you get mm-hmm. positive feedback on the things you do and and your parents encourage you to dream big, I think then it just unfolds.
1: That's good. Because, yeah, I mean, our Nigerian parents or African parents, they're always, I feel like sometimes they force you to dream big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a dreamer. Like, you you're, have no option.
2: But you're living the <laughs> life
1: yes we thank god for that we thank god so i try to define the topic of today you know venture capital uh, and um and i i know you you heard thank you for saying that i try my best um to to define it so in your own words what is this venture capital can you explain it to our viewers
2: yeah of course you did a great job i think picking shark tank as as an example because shark tank was i think the medium that introduced venture capital to to the public and to most Americans. Uh, yes. Believe it or not, these these meetings are relatively real. Like Obviously on TV, it's, some things are a little bit exaggerated, but usually when you raise venture capital, and I'll provide more context in a second, um, it's you, the founder, who has a dream, who's slightly crazy because he wants to do something that other people have never thought about or think wouldn't work. And then you pitch your idea to these very successful people you're, you're usually starstruck because these are names that you've read about in the news or or listen to them on a podcast and so you tell them a story that everybody else has told you so far is crazy and you tell them if we, if we succeed with this, if you give me capital i'll build something that's going to be big and it's going to return a lot of value both to shareholders and to customers and then usually investors have Very direct answers. They'll tell you, yeah, that's crazy. Or they're like, I've never heard this. I'm intrigued. And so let's go back. What is venture capital? Venture capital is really capital, as you said, that people invest into ideas, very early stage companies. Most of these companies either don't have revenue or, if they have revenue, they're far from being profitable. And so, especially on this side of the country, on the West Coast in San Francisco, a lot of these ideas are in the tech space, so technology ideas. And you raise venture capital in order to do one of two things. You either invest it into building technology that's very, very expensive to build. But once it exists, every incremental dollar in revenue is almost for free. So take, take example, take Facebook, for example. They spend billions of dollars on building it. They spend billions of dollars in attracting more and more people to it. But yes. now, now the people are engaging with the website, they're engaging with the technology, and every time somebody places an ad and, and pays for accept, well, putting an ad in front of you as a, as a user, like the cost for Facebook of doing that is very low. And so most of the revenue is profit. And so that what that's usually what characterizes a venture capital business, or a business that qualifies for venture capital. High upfront costs, but then very very big margins on all the revenue they're getting and so when you then ask yourself okay if i'm a venture capital investor where do i get my money from it's usually big funds so they have investment funds they raise money from what they call limited partners lps uh, these are institutions these could be wealthy individuals and then the venture capitalists the person managing the fund his responsibility is step one finding good companies so finding entrepreneurs with crazy ideas who think very ambitiously, who want to do something other people haven't done before, then convincing that invest uh, that that entrepreneur to take that person's money, um, you need to agree on evaluation because other than normal companies, you don't have revenue usually or profits. Usually, the value of a company is a multiple of revenue or profits for for an early stage business. You don't have either of those. So you, you find need to find a way to agree on evaluation. Usually venture capitalists want to buy 25% of your company. Um, and then the entrepreneur gets the money. And then typically, typically, he, he, the entrepreneur has a lot of discretion on how to use the capital. Obviously, it's a big, big uh, responsibility to raise the money and then use it. But the goal usually is to be very frugal. Although these amounts usually sound big, the idea is to be very frugal Experiment, build technology, put it in front of customers, and hope that you built something that customers all of a sudden start using. And then if you customers start using these, this is what I said earlier. Once they use them, every incremental dollar in revenue usually has very high margin. Just the investment to get there is usually very high, and that's why you raise venture capital funding. I went over this really quickly. Is that a good start?
1: I mean yes, that's a that's a good start to it, and um, and you and even in anybody that hear this, I'm sure the wealthy or the investors is like a buzzword. A lot of people wants to hear that, and um, and I think a lot of people wonder um, how can you know how can we even reach these people, and yeah. um, and I also want to know, I'm sure that most um, investors don't just throw money to you just because you you give this good presentation to them this good business idea what are some some what are um how would i put this
2: yeah what are some ways to raise money yeah
1: what are the different stages in business that the venture capital is focused like when it comes to investing money on people
2: yeah good question so for a very early company you you have three different stages let's define those you have what's called pre-seed Pre-seed means very early, a founder who has an idea but doesn't have anything, doesn't have revenue, probably doesn't have a product yet. It's just a really ambitious person with a background, ideally in the space of, of the venture, that goes to investors and tell them, hey, I wanna build something, I have this conviction, I need some money to build technology so they can put it in front of customers and test that. In our own business, that the one that we started in 2011, Uh, we started a used car selling business. We wanted to sell used Mm -hmm. cars online. And so in our case, we approached a number of our classmates from Stanford Mm -hmm. and told them, can we sell your car? You're leaving the area. And they had a problem. We knew how to solve it. So we started selling our classmates' cars. We wanted to create an experience like Zipcar, so you could swipe your ID, test drive the car by yourself, and if you wanted it, you could just go to the bank and pay for it. And so we tried that 10, 20, 30 times, sold 10, 20, 30 cars. We didn't have a product, but we just had some experience. And so we took that experience and the idea to early stage investors. In our case, it was a lot of people associated to the Stanford network was professors, lecturers. And we told them, hey, here's what we're thinking we could build. There needs to be something that makes car buying and selling better. We have exactly. sold a few cars, so we understand the space a little bit. Would you be willing to make a bet on it? And so at that point this is pre-seed that means no product lots of experience and founders that are somewhat authentic to the space at that point it's just a bet by mostly individuals or small investment funds that uh, these guys will figure something out so that's pre-seed the next stage is seed. that's where you have a product you have initial revenue not hundreds of thousands like hundreds of dollars maybe But you prove that you have value for somebody, somebody was willing to pay for you for for your service or your product. At that stage, you raise a bigger sum. Pre-seed is usually less than a million that you raise. Seed is usually one to three million or something like that. And then there is really about repeating and building technology that allows you to repeat what you did to the early customers, but in a more scalable way. Mm -hmm. And so if you succeed that, you always need to show growth, because what investors are in is not the present state, they invest in the future of the business. So you need to show that the company grows, so there is a future of the business. And then once you can prove that you're starting to ramp, then you raise what's called a Series A funding round, that's real institutional venture capital. Those rounds could be somewhere between 5 and $10 million these days, at least in the tech space Mm -hmm. and in San Francisco. And you use that money not to acquire customers. So you don't want to spend it on marketing because arguably you have a product people really want. You you build, you spend it on building up your product so you can serve more people at the same time um, to build a stable infrastructure, to build a product that really delights people, a product that delights people so much that they tell other people about it. Because yes. you need to produce this exponential growth and you can only grow, uh, ex- create it If you don't pay for every marketing dollar to acquire yet another customer, but you need a lot of strong word of mouth, lots of organic growth. Um, And then there's later stage of funding, and then you go towards private equity at a later stage when the company has stable cash flows. But I think those are the interesting areas to speak about. And that's also very often what you see at Shark Tank. It's either people who have an idea but haven't built anything quite yet or people who have a product and an idea and initial customers and now need funding to build out the product even more so more customers will acquire it. I make it sound very easy, it's it's actually complicated. Yeah,
1: I know, it is complicated. And then you are talking about $1 million and then $10 million, that's a lot, it takes a lot it's, it's, for people to accumulate that kind of amount.
2: That's true, and so you need to understand this these amounts sound very big. They don't go to me, right? It's, it's not an investor giving me the money. It's investor putting the money into a company before the investor invests. I even agree with the investor on what my salary would be. My salary is really low usually because I want to be very, very strongly incentivized to making the company big because I own shares in the company too. So you need to align the incentives and that's really important. And then if you think about it, let's let's use one million as an example. Do you think that's a lot of money? In San yes. Francisco, the average salary of a say software engineer is probably between hundred and hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's one person, mm-hmm. and you think even that is a high salary. But if you live here, you realize the cost of living is so high that yeah. hundred fifty thousand dollars doesn't even you can't you can't even think about buying a house anytime soon. So that's how how little hundred fifty thousand dollars in San Francisco buys you. And then if you have a million and a single person costs $150,000, well, you hire six and you probably won't even last for a year. And so if you put things into the perspective, these amounts that sound really big for an individual, like a million dollars, is insane amount of money for an individual, for a company, it only gets you so far. And that way, that's why you need to be really, really, really frugal as an entrepreneur in the very beginning. And if you have money that doesn't mean you can spend it that means you have the opportunity to build something big but only if you're very frugal
1: that's true i mean i'm glad you explained that and you did make a good point with um basically pointing out that your your location where you live because sometimes that would matter because it because sometimes to me if you say one million based on where i live that's a lot of money for you living in la san francisco Things are expensive. Cost of living is very expensive. So that yeah, money would
2: go a long way. What's yeah. interesting now that these times have changed a little bit with the virus as bad as it is for humanity, it, it creates opportunities. Like now what happens, a lot of the software engineers who'd already been working, working remotely like a day or two a week, a lot yeah. of software engineers are actually moving away from San Francisco because cost of living is so high. And since everybody works remotely, they're now moving to other parts of the countries. They're they're moving to their families. They're moving in the countryside. It's a much better standard of living because you breathe fresh airs. You're not not locked into a small apartment. You're paying thousands of dollars in rent. And so since that trend is happening, I believe the venture capital you raise may actually go a longer way because you can hire people in different locations. You can have a fully remote team and you can build more with the same amount of money. So in some way, what the virus did as bad as it was for most people it, it also created lots of efficiencies cuz now we're using technology very effectively
1: yes and uh, where i live in texas a lot of people from california and what other states to chicago i don't know but california is the top one they keep this is like they're moving here a lot and i'm seeing I'm a sure lot of them here yeah be, and like you see i think that's why because you work from home now there's no need of you staying in california you can work from home, earn the salary of someone that live in California earns, and then you live in Texas. That's like best of both worlds.
2: That's, that's a good. your barbecue is so much better. So I can totally understand why somebody from San Francisco <laughs> would move to Texas. Yeah. And then I think short term that will happen. I think, I think, I think companies will adjust, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Like we need exactly. to figure out how can we make this fair and good for everyone like we want these companies to succeed if the company succeeds everybody benefits that's another thing that's very typical from 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 san francisco and venture capital funding companies people employees don't get cash only they get a sh- get shares in the companies because the investors want every employee to be fully fully committed and aligned with the interest of the capital and so usually in the bay area people themselves a salary ideally on the low end of things given cost of living but also have equity or shares in the company early on so when the company becomes hugely successful it pays off like disproportionately for the employees as well
1: yes wow that's good i want to take a a second to shout out to some people that mentioned where they are watching from i think it's friday and he said he's watching from all the way from lagos Lagos. nigeria shout out to you (laughs) <laughs> that's Archie from nigeria so thank you for tuning in um for joining us and also we have um, i think that's him he's a nice one and we have gideon that says hey hi gideon how you doing today <laughs> and um i just wanted to give a shout out to them but continue to what we're talking about you mentioned in your bio that you and your co-founder has raised a total of 10 million in venture yep. funding by 2015 yep. i can't I can't, I, I mean, I have to ask, like, how in the world did y'all do that? Like, how you were able to raise funds for such huge amount? Take us, just take us through that. Like, how did that even yeah. happen in the first place?
2: Yeah, I, I, I wonder myself. <laughs> now, <laughs> what happened was, so we started this business where we sold cars peer-to-peer. I would help you, Connie, sell your car to yeah. Friday, maybe. <laughs> Uh, or maybe yeah. Gideon, depending on who pays more. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, what we ended up doing, that model didn't work the way we wanted to because the sellers always wanted more for the car and the buyers yes. were very price sensitive. They wanted to haggle. And so every time we made a deal happen, it felt like we were disappointing both of our customers. Mm-hmm. And so in order to continue peer-to-peer, this individual-to-individual car selling platform, we actually removed all the private sellers and instead mm-hmm. started working with institutions. And so with institutions, I mean rental companies, leasing companies, companies that have tons of inventory and tons of vehicles that they need to sell, but are very, very rational about it. And so we took these vehicles and advertised them straight to consumers. Uh, We basically removed the middleman. We we became an online car dealership. And once we reached the consumer directly, two things happened. A, we could sell cars for a much lower overhead. So we didn't have a physical infrastructure like a dealership, lower overhead cost. We also reached much more and had a much broader inventory. So we, on paper, at least, it looked like this is a business like Amazon, where you have tons of inventory. You don't have to go to the store. You can do it purely online. And we were growing like that. So we went from 10 cars in one month to 20, to 40, to 60. Just month over month, we almost doubled all the time or grow with so much growth so that if you, if you just extrapolated this growth and it continued to grow at this pace, it would become a very, very, very big company at some point. And so we took that story and our understanding that was two and a half years into our journey in the car space. We took that to investors and told them, hey, if if we do this right, we have a chance at building what's what's basically Amazon for used cars. Um, And so in order to do that, we raised like all this venture capital that you mentioned. Uh, Again, we didn't raise our salaries. We kept them really, really, really low instead we built more technology to help these use car sales online because at that point we were a call center and we wanted Mm -hmm. customers just like with amazon go to the website and place orders and building that technology just takes a little bit it takes effort it takes time and engineering talent is very expensive
1: wow wow that's awesome that's (laughs) that means you guys are smart man you have to have two smart people to be able to accomplish this and um and, and I think that's probably how you, you and your partner ended up, you know, selling your business to Kavana. So, um, take us through that transition from selling your business to Kavana. Is that a great move? And what lesson did you learn from that experience?
2: Well, you tell me whether it's a great move, but let me tell you the story first. So okay. we hit a point, we were selling around 150 cars a month. That's not huge. it uh, doesn't sound huge. It's relatively big for an independent car dealership in a single location if you assume 150 150 cars at an average price of $20,000, so that's at least $3 million in revenue. Very low margin, because cars don't have a lot of margin, but we're turning a lot of capital. Um, Yet we felt like the investment to open new locations all over the country was really, really high. And what, what Venture Capital loves to do is invest in servers, so you can just continue producing software and people can just use and pay for the software. What Venture Capital didn't like very much and also we actually didn't like that much, is using capital to buy warehouses and uh, mechanics, and and instead of moving bits and bytes, moving metal. And so we asked ourselves, what should we do? Should we raise more money and try to grow the company bigger? Or is there something else that we built and that we have that would be valuable to somebody else? And so we, we had friends at Carvana. We had very good friends with the founders and executives over there. In fact, one of our Stanford classmates, she worked at Carvana in partnerships. And so I reached out to her and told her, How do, we're in the same space. We're working on the same mission. How about we compare notes and, and share what we've learned? And so we explained to Carvana, we built a system that shows all the vehicle data in a very effective way online. Uh, and that makes it very easy for c- customers to know, is it a, what model the car is, what trim the car is, what packages it had. And Carvana told us, you know what, we're about to start to build the same software. Why don't you come on board and we just jointly tackle this mission of becoming Amazon for use cars? Carvana was much bigger than us at the time, but uh and had like huge advantages. But we had something that made a lot of sense. And so instead of raising more money, we decided to bring the whole team over to Carvana. We sold the software to Carvana and then we came on and stayed there for three years. Wow.
1: <laughs> I mean that's that's something. I mean, that's a smart move. If you ask me, that's a smart move because, like you say, you guys were very logical about it. You guys don't have the infrastructure, infra- like the
2: infrastructure. The whole yeah.
1: equipment. Yes, that would. You do You guys don't have the whole equipment. You guys don't. You guys don't even have the workers. You know. I think it's <laughs> just right. two of you. Is it two well, of we, you? Or we were a
2: bigger team, but we we had software engineers. Mm-hmm. We had fear of the physical labor that needs to recondition cars, needs to fix cars. And so we were had no experience building that. We were very discouraged because it's very physical and Silicon Valley is all about technology. And Carvana had all of that. And so I agree with you, We, with hindsight, obviously, with hindsight, you're always so smart. With hindsight, it was one of the smartest things we've done. At the time, it felt right. At the time it felt right, because we were so aligned with what we wanted to build with the founders and the executives at Carvana. And we just got along really well. We're very similar people.
1: Wow. I have a question. Like when you guys do move your um, team to um, to join Kavana, um your business idea, does it mean it's still your own, you and your partner own, or does it mean that Kavana will automatically take ownership of that?
2: No, part of what we did, like part of the agreement was, there was three pieces. It was, we sold the software. So everything we built, it's intangible because it's software, but we sold it to Carvana and now it was theirs. They paid mm-hmm. for it money went to the investors. We told the team, hey, we created really, really good job opportunities within Carvana for you. And Carvana and us, we collaborated on making it attractive for the employees. So the employees decided to take the new job. And then Chris and I joined. For us, it was really important that what we sold to Carvana was working really well, and we didn't sell something that didn't work. So it was really important for us that since they spend a lot of money on it, we made it work. The other thing that was really important for us is for, for the team to find a really good home because our company ceased to exist. It was now everything that we built now was owned by Carvana. So we wanted to make sure that they had really fun jobs and, and felt like they were continuing to work on something they were excited about. And then lastly, it, it needed to make sense for us to some extent, but it was the other two things were much more important to us. And then luckily we got along so well with, with the executive team at Carvana that we got really exciting roles. Um, so exciting that we decided to stay for three full years
1: yes wow i mean i think in anything you do in life there's risk associated with it it's all about are you willing to take that risk is it worth the risk you know so you have to put all of those things in consideration and able to discern which one is right for you so i believe your your decision you and your partner make is right for your business and um, i could tell because you started your own company you and your partner now have your own company called clutch.com you know so tell us tell us about that company and the motive behind it
2: yeah, give me give me two minutes before I talk about the one. One thing you said is the risk is a really interesting topic. A no risk, no fun. I think everybody knows. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm less risk. I'm more risk averse than you would think, and that will surprise you because I took all these big risks. When when we graduated from Stanford Business School, we had one mentor tell us you guys are in this very unique position. You're so, so lucky that if you just leave the school and apply for a bunch of jobs, you will definitely find a job. Like you have a very good education now. Your your job, your profile is in demand. So since you have that really, really, really good plan B, your plan A should be a different one. Your plan A should be doing something that's meaningful, that gives back to society and build something that is hopefully having a sustainable impact. And so for us, that meant, since we had a really good plan B, we wanted to go all in, pay ourselves very little, and try to build a company that changed the way use cars are being sold because we knew it was such a pain. <music> then we sold that, and then we felt the same way again. When we were at Carvana, we, we got incredibly lucky, but now we face the same decision again. Like We have a great plan B, an incredible job, working with incredibly smart people, But we almost felt the responsibility to now do something new again where we felt Carvana was not yet ready or was in a different space and was distracted with building their incredible business so there was another area that where we felt that we could be impactful and so we do the same thing again we massively lower our salaries but build another company to address in this case people who have challenged credit and who are overpaying on their car loans and since he asked if two insights led us to build a new company number one was when you buy a car you usually haggle for the price of the car, but you never haggle for the interest rate on your auto loan. So you you haggle, 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 you fall in love with the car, you wanna pay for it, and then you ask the dealership for a loan on your car. Well, what the dealer does is he gives you the loan that pays him the highest referral fee. He doesn't give you the loan that pays you the lowest interest rate. In fact, the second you drive off the lot, you could already think about refinancing your auto loan. Number one, insight number one. Number two is when you make your payments over time, you improve your credit. Yet you're stuck in the loan that you got when you didn't have perfect credit yet. And to give you an example, when I moved, when I moved to the U.S., Chris discovered that Fiat. You know these little Fiat 500 cars, these little ones. Yeah. So Fiat in California they sold them as an electric version, and in order to sell them, they had this promotion where you could lease them for three years for eighty nine dollars a month. And Chris mm-hmm. discovered that he's like, that's that's cheaper than your cell phone. So we thought, let's get those. We went to the dealership. Chris was done in five minutes, $89 a month. And when I sat down, it took half an hour and the financing manager came back and said, congratulations, you're qualified. Your payment is going to be $1,200. And I said, how is that possible? I thought I came for 89. And he said, well, you don't have good credit. And I didn't have a good credit. I didn't have any credit because I came from Germany. And then Chris, my business partner, he, he co-signed my registration. And so my lease I, I could get the $89. I made six payments of eighty-nine dollars. You can calculate it's very little money compared to like what I was supposed to pay under the different circumstances. Then I, I ran my credit again and all of a sudden I had improved my credit so much over a period of six months that I would have qualified for an auto loan of twenties of thousands of dollars at 1.99%. And so that's the second insight. When you make your payments, your credit score improves. And that means you qualify for a much better rate than you would have at the point in time when you, or than you did at the point in time when you got your loan. And auto loan refinancing is just not a thing quite yet. People don't do it.
1: So basically your company, um, you guys wanted to make a little bit easier for a regular person to be able to purchase a car and without the hustle of this whole credit situation.
2: So I think that part we can't change because the dealership has so much leverage and power and the dealership is really good at it. So. Trying to address how to give you a loan before you buy your car it would be very difficult. We're more here to be a, an advocate for you, Connie, if you make your payments successfully over a period of six, nine, or 12 months, to then go back to the bank and tell them, hey, you deserve a lower interest rate because you made your payments in time and in full. Oh, wow. That's
1: that's that's good. Yeah, because sometimes... You like that? <laughs> Yeah, I like that. So, because if you see, if I mean, I don't know, right before your company, if you go to the bank and tell them that, would they, would they even cut your interest rate before your company was uh, introduced? Uh,
2: probably not. Wow. You need to understand, if you get an auto loan, it's very complex what happens. Like, you think you get the money from the bank, and then it goes to the dealership. The bank takes this loan. Think of it as paper. And they sell it on to somebody else. And then they make their margin because they sell it for more than they they took it in for. And so your auto loan, although you think you have it with, I don't know, Chase or Wells Fargo or Bank of America, like what they do, they do, it's called securitization. They sell the loans, a big portfolio of loans to institutional investors. And they do some math and they promise how much return the investor will get. If you pay off your loan early, if you refinance, you basically take all the profit that they were going to make in the future away from them and you give it to somebody else who's willing and ready to accept a little less profit. Like I'm overly simplifying how it works, but banks don't <laughs> actually like to refinance. They they prefer that you stay in these loans and make your payments.
1: So basically you guys are re- redefining refinance because for me, before I talk to you, if, if I hear refinance, it doesn't sound like a good thing to me. I didn't really like that, you know? But um, I think you guys are basically creating awareness that there's some benefit from actually refinancing your car. And I'm sure there is it's refinancing your home too. But you guys are basically focusing on the car. Seat, on the car exactly. Um. Oh, okay.
2: And so you're actually hitting on two really interesting points. You're hitting on awareness. People don't know you can do it. Yes. And some people think it's something bad. It's not. It's something great. Like there's no small print. You're just getting a better loan. The other thing you're hitting on is mortgages. People refinance mortgages all the time. Like last year, 47. So almost 50% of all the mortgages that were funded were refinancings. And so it was so much last year because the interest rate dropped. When interest rates go down, everybody qualifies for a better mortgage that already has one and has been making payments. In the auto space, it's very different. Less than 5% of all the funded auto loans last year were refinancings. So very, very few mainly because people don't know it's possible. And the people who know it's possible don't know how to get refinances because nobody, re- like all the banks and incumbents, all the other existing players, they're not marketing that very heavily because they don't want you to refinance.
1: Yeah, you're right. And I, I, why are you saying this? It kind of reminds me of, you know, we're in COVID right now. And I think we are in, what's that word? Um, when things go down, what, what what do you call it in business?
2: A recession. Uh,
1: yes and then i think homes are going down now with the price and i think this is going to be a good time don't you think to refinance your home or your car
2: um couple of thoughts so if you're it usually isn't a good time for banks if the prices of assets go down so if the your house price goes down or if your vehicle price goes down it's not a great time to get a new loan because the underlying asset is worth a little less that said, there's two things that are happening right now. Number one, interest rates also go down. Like the Fed reduced interest rates were basically at 0%, and that's why you're actually seeing a lot of refinances right now. So banks yeah. are willing to extend uh, more credit to people who have really good credit especially. And while last year, 47% of all the funded mortgage applications were refinances, apparently this year it's above 50%. So more and more people take advantage of the lower interest rate. That's number one. Number two, that's happening during this crisis, as bad as it is. People are losing their jobs right now. They're still living off the stimulus checks, but mm-hmm. at some point, those will run out, and so either you either find a new job, or or and or you look for creative ways to get some cash. And on mm-hmm. cars, there's a lot of people out there who have positive equity in their cars. That means they the cars are worth more than the loan they have on it. And so if you take out a new loan, a refinance, there's also one version of that product where you can get some cash to pay your bills. And so that's why I think refinancing a car will also be really interesting over the next couple of months.
1: Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Because um, I mean, part of um talking to you, I have never heard of refinancing your car. So no, I'm people happy don't that you yeah, that I'm happy you guys are creating that awareness and people are learning about it now and um that's actually a good thing to give a try you know to try it and see how it works for you
2: thanks to you connie you're helping me create awareness
1: (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's what we are we have to help each other one way or the other we agree we have to share the knowledge we have so we can both we can all grow you know i agree if you were here give you a big hug
2: and uh, we would grow together (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm talking about refinancing, equity, and everything, right? There are two main structures or forms of venture capital, yep. equity and convertible debt, enlighten my um, audience on the importance of knowing the difference between these two. Because yeah. I think sometimes people kind of, you know, misunderstood it.
2: I'm, I'm actually very surprised you heard of this. There's, for early stage companies, so there's, there's a gazillion different financial products, and I'm not qualified to speak to most of them. What I do understand is how early stage companies get their funding. And there's actually three structures. There's equity, convertible, and there's a product called SAFE. SAFE is a uh, standard agreement for future equity. And let me explain that. If you, if you start a company today and you want to raise money, funding at some point, it can't be an LLC. It has to be a corporation. A corporation, you can have shares in it and an LLC become member and so it's more difficult as a financial investor. So it has to be a corporation. In order to get more money, a lot of legal work has to be done because you need to increase the number of shares, this is all paperwork obviously, and then the money needs to come in and it's very expensive in terms of using lawyers. Lawyers are expensive, you need to get it right. So every time you do what's called an equity round, you give out more shares, lawyers need to be involved, it becomes very costly. And it's silly for a very, very early stage company uh, to spend a lot of money on lawyers because you want to use the, like the scarce resources, the little bit of money you have, you want to spend it on building a product and not on hiring lawyers. So that's why there's two forms of raising money at a very low transaction cost, very low cost of lawyers. That's a convertible note, number one. And that's a standard agreement for future equity. It's called SAFE. The convertible loan is the one that was very popular up until 2014, that's basically somebody giving a loan to the company, and so a loan doesn't need to issue new shares, it just give a loan, but in the loan paperwork, you agree on terms under which the loan converts into shares. And so what you're doing with a convertible note is you raise money, you also don't need to do it all at the same time, you can do it from variable per- various people at various times, it's just very cheap because you, ha- you hardly need any lawyers. Only if and when these convertible notes convert into shares, that's when you need lawyers. But that means you can postpone the lawyers to the future, and only spend the money on lawyers when you when you actually have success and traction. So that's the difference between equity and convertible note. And the safe is, is a better version, a smarter version of a convertible note. Where and like, since a convertible note is debt, you owe interest, and so you, a safe solves some of these outstanding problems but that's the big difference. Equity needs lawyers and you own shares in the company. Convertible means you have the right to convert your debt into equity, into shares at some point, but you save a lot of lawyer expenses. Wow. Is that so, helpful?
1: Um, Yeah, so basically, so
2: <laughs> I'm
1: looking at this. I don't know which one is better then.
2: Oh, depends on the stage of your company. So if you're early stage, you and you wanna raise money and you wanna raise like significant amount, um, you need good paperwork because otherwise, who knows how much you own of the company? You'd never want to fight with your your investors. You want to be crystal clear, and everybody knows and has the same understanding of what you're getting for the money. But you don't want to spend your money on lawyers, not at that point, not early stage, because you have nothing. Like we have nothing, so we want to make sure that we can build something that's actually worth something. And so, early stage in your first stages of your company, I would always use a convertible note or a save. A save is practically the same, very different, but practically the same, you achieve the same things. You don't wanna raise an equity round because that means you spend literally $30,000 on a lawyer uh, to get everything right. And so you can postpone these expenses in the future until a point in time when you feel this business is actually really working. So let's turn everybody in equity holders The terms you agreed on in the very beginning but you spend you delay all the legal expenses to a later point in time
1: wow okay
2: here's what what we should do connie if if people have questions this is very complicated put put my link uh, my linkedin link into your show notes so they can reach out to me Um, and then then i'm happy to explain it over and over again it is very complicated if you hear it for the first time once you've done it once you're like oh this was just paperwork
1: yeah, I would definitely have. Um, I have your information, um, guys. Awesome. I have his information on the description of this video, so you can find all his information, his contact, so you can email him or uh, you know find him on LinkedIn, so you can ask him further questions because this is a little um, complicated. complicated. You yeah, <laughs> chose yeah. yeah.
2: that question. It's a. I was surprised, but it's a good question. The the, yeah. the, the overarching scheme is, is theme is try to keep your costs as low as possible as an early stage company because every dollar matters every dollar that helps you build a product that people delight that delights people is important yes. and you want to spend it on delighting people and not on legal expenses
1: that's true i mean when you're starting a business you won't cut your expenses you don't want to keep spending yeah, every yeah so i'm glad you said that but um the venture world can also can easily be misconstrued like this whole equity and convertible debt thing that we just talked about and uh, at the same time um it's a very risky um thing to do in relation to the nature of the agreement between the investor and the startup um, entrepreneur in terms of what are the odds of the company being successful or the guarantee that an investor will benefit from investing on a particular business or entrepreneur. So what are some tips that you can provide to my audience you know, to help them on how to navigate this venture world?
2: Yeah. So the most important thing, and I think that's true when you do investing or when you raise money is to be crystal clear and very direct between the two parties, the entrepreneur and the investor, that both parties know what they're getting into. The investor needs to understand this is a very, very, very high risk investment. And so when I when I raised from friends in my previous company, I told everyone, hey, I want you to know that you should assume this money is gone. Like we're trying our best to make this work, but do not assume that you get it back. If, if that has any implication in your lifestyle, then you should not invest or you should invest less. And so obviously I, my ambition was a very different one, but I wanted to be crystal clear that people risk losing this money because the odds of a startup working out are very low. When it works out, it can be really, really lucrative. Like if you have invested early on in Facebook, small checks became a lot of money. So it's very important that the, inter- the investor knows what he's getting into. And most of the venture capital investors really understand what they're doing. As a founder, what's really important is I think you need to select who you want to raise from because you're somewhat married. Like as you said, there's a lot of paperwork, a lot of legal stuff. Like you're marrying, you're getting somebody into the family that you can't get rid of. Um, And so most nine out of 10 people have great intentions and it's very easy to be aligned. Sometimes, and this all comes back to communication and managing expectation, if the investor's expectations are slightly different, or their understanding of the status of the company is slightly different from the founder, then there's a huge risk that you end up in a situation where there's a big misalignment. You need each other because you're married, you need to sign more paperwork together, you need to grow the company together, you need to raise more money together. And so that's why you need to be really careful who you race from. And I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean it, manage expectations right, because it is risky. Like most likely, early stage companies don't work out. If they do work out, it becomes really lucrative. Though.
1: Yes um i'm glad you said that too because i wanted to point this out too and for those for startups and you can back me up on this for startup um you know how some people sign contracts with these investors like you say when you're investing think of it that you might get it back or you might not get it back but sometimes these investors might trick some people signing their life away you know and if they don't and if their business don't ended up um being lucrative or even Being successful like some of them i feel like they are stuck you know what are some things that they can do people can do to avoid that kind of situation get into that messy investors
2: so you're you're asking me how can investors avoid being in a messy situation or entrepreneurs
1: entrepreneurs
2: entrepreneurs yeah so i think i told her earlier one piece of advice I received at, at the end of business school that I've that resonated with me a lot is you have an incredible plan B, so make sure your plan A is a plan that gives back to people, has a positive impact on society. I, I, I feel like I followed that advice because it felt very true to who I am. But that said, I also told you I'm I'm more risk averse than it may sound or look or that, that you may assume because I, I always knew that my plan B was at least some job in some company at some decent salary and so i wouldn't i would never risk my own capital so if you if you're an entrepreneur try to not invest your own company uh, your own money into your own company that's what's that's why you have investors for some people are willing to take the risk you always need a safe plan b don't put all your eggs into one basket the other thing i would do is you everybody will fail all the time so expect failure to happen learn from it there's two things. Where I think you should not fail, you can't not work as hard as possible. So you have to work as hard as you can, and you need to maintain your integrity. So don't do anything silly, because your reputation is ultimately what supersedes and 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 precedes and succeeds all of the companies you're building. And so even if the business didn't work out, you need to still be able to sit down with your investors and have have a drink or have dinner, and and be positive and don't feel like you you didn't give it all or you did mistakes that that made decisions that were not morally or ethically correct. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a great advice. Like, that's a great advice. You have to make sure you, I think everything, you know, especially when it comes to business, you have to be, you have to be matured about it, you know, in every Very situation. Mature. And you have to be realistic at the same time that sometimes it might go smoothly, sometimes it might not go smoothly. So you have to learn how to, you know, tackle any situation that you face, you know, in an right. amicably and matured way so you guys can move on if it didn't work out you know but oh, uh, um, to close this up, i want to give you the floor to um, encourage those entrepreneurs that are beginning this their new venture their new adventure when it comes to starting a new business what are some words of encouragement that you can give to them
2: okay yeah so the most important thing about a starting company is to just get started if you overthink it you will not get started. You'll talk yourself out of doing things. This is, I did that many, many years of my life. I just always thought I could figure problems out and the whole thing. And you never have this idea because you always talk yourself out of it. So, number one, get started. Number two, I th- said it early, understand the risk you're taking. And so, I personally don't mind taking huge, huge, huge risks with my time. I'm very, very careful with my savings. So I never put the money into the same risk that I'm putting my time into because I want, I want to be able to sleep well, even when things don't go well. And in a startup, they usually don't go well until they go well. And then the last thing I would say, uh, we've been talking a lot about money. Your, your main motivator to start a company and have huge impact cannot be money. It has to be something, something bigger. You have to be in it for the right reasons. It needs to be authentic to you. It needs to be something that helps other people. Because if, if you're only in it for the money, you won't, you won't last long enough. You won't be tenacious enough because it's so hard to start a company. It needs to be an alter motivation, helping people. In our case, in our new business, we want to give people money back. We want to help people get out of bad credit. Something that I experienced myself. Um, and so that's the key motivation. If it works out, there's a good chance that it will work out financially very well, too but the the key motivator is a different one. The key motivator needs to be helping people or just having a positive impact.
1: That's true. You (laughs) said it perfectly. You're right. I mean, you have to start first. For us to be talking about this, you have to even begin whatever that is, that great business idea that you have, you have to start it. You have to put your foot in the water, you know, so we can start talking about how you're going to navigate it, how you're going to do anything. And, um, yeah. I mean, you said it perfectly. I don't have anything (laughs) else to add to that. You said it perfectly. We're a good tech (laughs) team. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are. Uh, Well, guys, um, we almost to the end of this, but I want to first use this opportunity to talk about our website. We do have a website, and um, you can see it on the screen shortly. It's VanTime with Podcast.com. Make sure you check it out. And you can also buy our merch product, like the one that I'm wearing right now. And we do have different colors, black and white. I'm just wearing the black. black. And you can also get the hat. That's the one I have right here, as you can see. And um, we have other merch products that you can buy from. We have accessories, baby clothes, ones for the kids. So you can buy one for your kids. And we have, um, like, a laptop bag, a phone case. You can get phone cases, you know? And um, T-shirts, what else? Again, we have hoodies, we have sweat sweaters, we have, uh, what else again we have? We have a bunch of things. So just go to the website, as you can see on the screen, and go check it out. And uh, looking at the comment section, you guys don't have questions, which is which is good. I'm guessing you guys will send um, Nicholas email or LinkedIn to ask a more detailed question. So thank you guys so much for joining. Um, Nicholas, thank you so much. How can my um, viewers, my audience reach you?
2: Yeah, the best way really is through LinkedIn. Um, just for, look for Nicholas Hendrickson, that German name that we talked about earlier. <laughs> um, yes. Or look for Nicholas Carvana or Nicholas Calypso or Nicholas With Clutch. Or just go to WithClutch.com. If you could put that in the show notes, it's really easy. And then I look forward to interacting, engaging with a lot of your audience
1: that's good yeah guys go to his website with clutch.com and uh, i'm sure you can get all his contact from there so you can, you can um ask him any questions that you have and you can learn about his company too and which is a great company they they offer really good services that i believe all of us do need especially if you have any car notes and um, that you want to you know
2: refine you know basically
1: Refinance, Yes, go to him. He's the man to go to for that. And um, thank you so much, Nicholas, for stopping by on Ventime with Connie podcast. This is a great pleasure talking to you. And I'm sure the wisdom you shared on this episode will be a great blessing to anyone listening or watching, you know, because the people will be listening on podcast tomorrow. So on behalf of my listeners and viewers, we say thank you for coming. And I hope you had fun in this.
2: I had so much fun. Thanks for having me, Connie. You're great.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, we have come to the end of this. Thank you so much for listening and watching this live stream. And I hope to see you guys back here next week, next week Saturday to discuss yet another intriguing and thought provoking topic relates to entrepreneurship. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You do have a great, wonderful rest of your weekend. And this is your host, Connie, signing out. Bye-bye.